This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of What Most People Think. Uh, we are back. I've been on the road. I've been to in the last week or so. I've been to Bedford, Colchester, Peterborough, all the glamour spots, baby. That's right, the metropolitan heartlands. And it's been fun. It's been fun. Thanks to all the people that came out to those shows. Uh, in, in particular, the thanks to the people that came to Colchester. I don't know what happened in that room, man, but it got pretty warm, wasn't it? It was a bit like, it's getting hot in here. And there were literally women in the audience taking off layers, mate. And my agent always said to me that that day would come, uh, but it didn't turn out to be for the reasons that I'd hoped. It was it was hot. I mean, a great venue, the Culture Star Arts Centre, but um, it was it, the, the temperature it reached sort of reached like a, a level of humidity that I would normally associate with a sort of insect enclosure at London Zoo. <laughs> You know that kind of when you just go in there and it's just like, we have to keep it at this level just so the Himalayan butterflies think that they're in Himalaya land. Uh, I know it's not called Himalaya land. Any remainers just think I'm a thick lever. Um, this is what most people think. Speaking of being a leave voter, you know the comedy world, right? Loads of very funny people, mostly left wing, mostly Labour voting, mostly, mostly remainers, mostly love Meghan and Harry, all that sort of stuff. Well, I am mostly... The opposite to that, but not in an extreme way. And this is the podcast that tries to come at social and political issues from the reactions, uh, from the standpoint of just an everyday bloke. Do you know what I mean? Who's not hamming up his working class credentials at all and actually now lives in Cambridgeshire. Full disclosure, uh, I don't have a fixed format. So this week it's a solo show, which typically means roughly 10% of the audience won't listen to this episode because for some reason they need, oh, I need I need to hear a conversation. I need to feel like, look, I, I like the um, the guest shows as well, but, you know, I, I like to keep it uh, interesting. And, and if there's enough news and enough people have turned me down to be on the show, then, of course, I'll do it myself. But there's a lot going on this week. This week, we are talking about Labour. You see, Labour, the great thing about Labour is they've seen that the country faces numerous problems, and they've thought, yeah, let's roll up our sleeves and take the fight to each other. That's what this needs. Let's have a little civil war. <laughs> it is insane. Boris's limp trip to the US. Um, a bit of, if we've got time, insulate Britain, stepping up their mainland campaign of domestic terror. Uh, a bit of men's mental health about catastrophization and being busy and a couple of really excellent letters. Now, new patrons, um, thank you so much to all the people that signed up after my pathetic plea last week. But it is really meaningful. And the more I think about it, I just, I just want to keep this model going. And every time someone signs up, um, it helps with that. And, and, and it's interesting when I speak to other podcasters, they don't understand why I wouldn't want the ad revenue. And it is weird, I guess. He's the, the, the only, one of the only Tory comics... Doesn't have advertising. That's a bit strange, isn't it? That's a turn up for the books. And also, just saying, if you look at the tickets for my tour show, I think you'll find mine are a lot cheaper than all the lefties. Just say, who's the true socialist? You know? It's like, it's like the football team I support, AFC Wimbledon. It does seem that in certain areas of my life, I am a massive, massive communist. Um, 
So there were a lot of new uh, patrons. I'll do the VIPs first. We had two, and then but listen to the end of the show because anybody that signed up within the last week, your name will get read out. Uh, we've got Enabongita, Enabongita, and um, I I hope I've pronounced that properly. Um, I don't think that I have, and it is interesting, isn't it, when you're when you're sort of saying names that are a bit exotic to you, of course, right? It's all relative in the global sense. Don't bring your cis-white hetero view to the world. Um, there is that, 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 that discomfort among white British people about getting it wrong now. It's, it's gone from the opposite. You know, like there's, there was a, a time when people would just didn't give a fuck, right? You know what I mean? They'd get it wrong and think it was funny. And now we're very, we're very keen to not make those mistakes. Uh, on that note, I was filming something uh, the other week, which I'd love to tell you what it's for. Well, that's annoying. I just shouldn't have mentioned it. But there was a girl, I think that she was um, Ghanaian, um, of Ghanaian descent, and her name was Yamama. And um, she said, so it was all these like liberal white middle class people on the shoot. And she, I think she thought her name was funny. So like, I'd imagine she was quite a working class girl. That whenever she says her name, like it gets a reaction. But then suddenly she's in TV world, and she's going, "Hi, I'm your mama." And we're all, including me, going, "Hello, your mama. Nice to meet you." That's not. There's nothing funny about that at all. Nothing funny about the name your mama. I mean, it was, and she just. I think she just looked around and must have just gone, "White people, man." Um, Christopher Taylor. Christopher Taylor. I think Christopher may have been an ex-patron that's re-signed. As I always say. If you're not getting notifications, because there's been a lot of activity on the Patreon recently, including the opportunity to be involved in Radio 4 shows, uh, and you know there'll be a tour heads up. Um, it may or may not be that there's going to be a spring leg, and um, some of the places that you lot always ask me if I'm going to go, I will be going to. But Christopher Taylor's back. Uh, Chris Taylor. Chrissy T. Chrissy T. I mean, that's a very... I mean, like, if you're looking at like, kind of like the gamut of our wonderfully diverse society, we've got Enna Bogota and Christopher Taylor. Christopher Taylor, the, the, the fifth annual winner of the World's Whitest Name Award. Uh, <laughs> we got the cuss count from last week, David Domain, back off holiday, the esteemed David Domain. And it was um, pretty healthy for a guest show, 0.7 swears a minute. And if we're looking for exotic swears, we had Grudgefuck. And David asked, is that exotic? I would say that Grudgefuck would be hyphenated. So that is one word. So that is exotic. Leo Curse continued his frankly pathetic efforts on the swearing front. I mean, for the tough guy, the tough, the tough Scott of comedy. And there he is weighing in uh, at one swear an episode. So he is way down on the leaderboard there. So we're going to crack on. Uh, but firstly, a quick thank you. I'd like to thank my dog, my new dog, Anne-Marie. And I know the kind of listeners I have right now are going, stupid name for a dog, Anne-Marie, stupid. Um, if my mum was still around, my God, she would have dropped kicked the dog just for having that. <laughs> my mum didn't do violence to animals, although a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them sort of went to the vet some days and never come back. And there was no, anyway, let's not get into that. Uh, my dog, uh, she, she's a shared, shared, and I kind of love her for it because, because our older dog, Lily, is like the older sibling. She's kind of like responsible, nervous. You know what it's like being the firstborn in any family? You had to sort of look up. And just see your new owners just looking nervous about everything. So you kind of take on that anxiety. That is very common. In if you look at think about any families you know, right, where there's kind of two or more kids. Think about the oldest one. They always look a bit kind of burdened, don't they? You know, there's always a special bond between them and the parents. But equally, the price they had to pay for that was that in the early years of their life, their parents didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Uh, but but Anne Marie's come into a fully working household and has the the scope to be a complete shithead. And it's very entertaining, very entertaining, absolute wrong. And I was, um, I was sort of saying, 
I was sort of saying uh, to my wife the other day about like how how kind of naughty she is, and at that point she jumped up on a on a big a sort of like if you can picture this a big upturned cushion that was leaning against the side of the sofa but she didn't realize it wasn't solid so she just got her hands her little her paws over the side of it and at that point the cushion started to fall away and i just saw her face as she went in the other di- direction uh very funny uh, i did have buyer's remorse uh, initially i'll admit that um but, uh, you know, I wouldn't take her to the dog's home. Of course, I'm, you know, I'm just chuck her in a river, right? And the joking, if you're a new listener, please don't think that because I'm right wing that I would definitely do something like that. Uh, you know, look, not if, unless I really, ha- no, I'll, I'll just leave that subject alone. People get so upset about dogs. When you're getting a dog these days, right? If, if you're going to be, if you're going to get a puppy, okay, just be very careful who you tell because there's a new phenomenon and there must have been some sort of documentary on Netflix but people have seen this documentary about puppy farms and oh my god you have people like that aren't normally that opinionated in your life that will just suddenly go okay just promise me promise me this that you will not get them from a puppy farm i don't know what this documentary is doing to women it's fucking disturbing them and i'm like i, I just I, you know I, I i was winding up some people i knew because you know there's a price threshold where you sort of basically got to say the price to reassure them so I was going, no, 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 I got it, you know, I got it, like, totally legit. She was 40 quid. I met the bloke in the car park at Lee Delamere Services. <laughs> but she's great. She's great. And it's great coming back. Uh, anybody that's got more than one dog will know that arriving home, it's just like, it's like being mobbed like a pop star arriving at, like, uh, the Dorchester in London. I feel like Michael Jackson in his heyday. Obviously, without the, you know, the kid stuff. Uh, the fuck you is so um, British. The British Comedy Guide ran my story. If you listen to last week's podcast, I made a plea. We're doing the show called Never Kissed a Tory um, on Radio Four, and it's so weird that this is a one-off show, one-off episode in the graveyard slot, right? And it's amazing the things that get traction. Now, evidently, I've picked a good title because uh, the the Navarra media journalist Ash Sarkar. And by the way, I'm going to tell the story, but don't go on and like you know start any flames. I don't give a fuck about you know what she said. But but she kind of so in the tweet it said, and I, I always hesitate about talking about Twitter because there's a massive element of he said she said. But uh, it said that Jeff Norcott's landed show could never kiss the Tory. In it, he plays ag- agony uncle to people uh, who have, you know, uh, had a, in- negative impacts on their personal and professional lives because of their politics, right? So it didn't say it was only about right-wingers. So Ash has quote-tweeted me. Now, look, she's a journalist. She's in that world of this quote-tweeting thing. I don't fucking do it. I'm an old-fashioned gentleman. I reply in the comments. Hey, remember the old days when we used to do that? I find comments, uh, quote-tweeting, is a bit like if you're at a party and then you suddenly answer a question very loudly so everybody else can be drawn into the debate. And um, she quote-tweeted it and said, oh, dear Jeff, I have a problem. My party has an 80-seat majority and I've still got a persecution complex, right? Paraphrasing a bit, but that was the sort of gist of it. And I was like, okay, look, I can see where you're going with this, but that is not at all what I'm driving at here. If she'd have read the article, she would have seen that that I was appealing for people from both sides. Like, I was aware that I would get a lot of Tories and Brexiteers that have had problems. and But she just sort of jumped to a conclusion. And anyway, this tweet goes fucking nuts. And like an idiot, right, in the interval, I'm having a great show in Colchester. I think, oh, I'll just, uh, I'll just check uh, Twitter just to, pass the, uh, just to pass the interval, just to distract my mind. And then suddenly my name is fucking everywhere. And there's all these hard left types going, you make me sick, you fucking arsehole. Oh, poor you, poor you, eh? Yeah, it goes with the territory when your your votes have cost uh, 130,000. By the way, you know, like, there's that, that figure that goes around that austerity caused 130,000 deaths. Now, there are a lot of people that believe this. I did do a fake, um, a, a fact check on that. 
and it isn't verified, okay? So I'm not saying that it, that argument isn't without merit, but it is interesting how it gets trotted out now as a, as a point of fact and a, a stick to beat all Conservative voters with. Um, you know, but like, you, in the same way that you, you, if somebody voted Labour in 2001, is it legitimate to sort of say to them, well, you caused like half a million deaths in the Middle East, you know? I did vote for Labour in 2001, so maybe uh, I'm guilty of both. But, um, but it, what happened was all these people piling on it sort of kind of made me remember why I was doing the show. I sort of thought, oh, yeah, like people on the hard left in particular have this sense of moral certainty that means that things that they can give out in public. I mean, they've literally crystallised the whole reason I'm doing the fucking show. So thank you. And by the way, look, Ash Sarkar, she's, she didn't say anything abusive to me. She made a point about the show. So I can, I can live with that. I was a bit surprised because, you know, I've met Ash. I thought we thought we got on all right but i'm not going to get into this online beef thing and and one thing is is that i do read comments and replies sometimes but it's just like people abuse me and stuff and there was a few journalists that had a pop at me but just the idea for me that they've had a pop and then their adrenaline is all up right and then they're logging in just going i wonder if he's seen my fucking comment there yeah i wonder yeah what you got saying that that norcott and just uh, just as the hours pass by and they realize that a i haven't read it and b i don't give a shit Let's talk about the first subject this week. Let's talk about, well, one of my favourite subjects, let's be honest, Labour being in a mess. Right, we've got the worst government ever, according to Twitter. There's a constant hashtags, Boris out, Boris the butcher, Brexit chaos, Brexit reality, Britain. I mean... It's always all these hashtags always struggle once you look out your window, don't they? When they sort of they sort of create a world of a, a, an image of a Mad Max style dystopia. No one's got any food, and there are mass mobs, you know, kind of like eating children. Uh, but this idea gets propagated by Twitter. Now the toys have done a lot wrong over the last eighteen months. I think all governments around the world have have, have struggled with the first global pandemic in a hundred years. But the, the problem is, firstly, is that these people that, that put forward this idea tend to ignore the good stuff that they've done. And things like the furlough, which was popular, and the fact that, you know, among a lot of voters, the, the Tories certainly seem to prioritise the NHS, you know, to a lot of Tory voters, maybe too much, and the vaccine rollout. And those are the three biggest things in the pandemic. Yes, there was the exam fuck-ups and they'll go, but PPE, PPE. Well, look, if you want to look at, just type in the word global PPE shortages and you'll look back to the spring of last year and you'll see that there were shortages everywhere, right? In Russia, Germany, Denmark and the US. But we sort of got the idea in this country that this global shortage of PPE was somehow something that we'd fucked up on individually and could, could navigate around until supply chains cranked up production. Uh, and it is one of my one of my problems with the left. First up, this is this is supposed to be out of Labour and Starmer, but surprise, surprise, it's Jeff going on about his issues with the left. Is um, is they always exaggerate, right? So PPE shortages were exaggerated. The Brexit chaos. I mean, at the moment, there's no doubt that there are um, supply chain issues with certain foods that have been exacerbated by the combination of COVID and Brexit. So you go, okay, let's take that on board. But what you then get is people going, there's no food on the shelves. Look, well, we're, we're living in a country now with no food. You go, well, that's, that's just not fucking true, is it? It's like, if you go into a supermarket, there will be some things that aren't there. And, you know, first up, little newsflash kids. That always happens sometimes. Yeah, that did, did used to fucking happen. Yes, definitely more at the moment. But sometimes there were no blueberries. And I know... <laughs> and I know that obviously for Remainer types, the, the absence of uh, fucking butternut squash is going to be a big issue. Oh, there he goes, Jeff. He's winding up the Remainers. He couldn't just try and be objective. 
But this is the problem. They always exaggerate, right? You know, with the free school meals thing, it was like, children will starve. You're like, okay. Look, I realised that the withdrawal in a pandemic of free school meals may have put additional pressure on low income family. But then you take it all the way to children will starve. And maybe my political issue isn't politics. Maybe I'm just too fucking literal. All right, let's get back on topic here. So Labour have been behind in the polls steadily for a long, long time, despite a recent bump after the announcement of the national insurance rise. And Boris Johnson's uh, net favourability is is this higher than Starmer's. I know, look, I don't fully get it myself, but that we are where we are, right? Um, and, and, you know, you remember at the time that Corbyn was in power, and this is where the hard left maybe do have a point, is that, you know, sort of centrist commentators like James O'Brien were party to the theory that Anybody other than Corbyn would be 20 points ahead of this shower, right? Anybody other... I mean, first up, 20 points ahead is a fucking reach, isn't it? When it, when has anybody... I mean, since, I think the last party to be 20 points ahead in the polls were Blair's Labour up against an absolutely shambolic sort of end-of-term Tories in the late... in the mid to late 90s, right? Coming into that 97 election. So that, firstly, was a bit of a reach. And now it is somebody other than Corbyn. And he's not... very much not 20 points ahead, and Labour are heading in on conference, right? So Starmer has decided to, in a, in a slight, like, fucking balls-out move, he's decided to take on the way that the Labour Party elect uh, their leaders. I think what they've got is, like, a one-member, one-vote type thing. So this was a change done by Ed Miliband, which was an ingenious move. He just said, ah, let's make it three quid and any prick can have a say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Any fucking keyboard warrior sitting around the country... You know, the, the kind of person that basically wants their collective biases to be reinforced. By the click of a button, they can just elect any fucking mad Marxist. And uh, lo and behold, there was five years of Jeremy Corbyn. And so Starmer has sort of said, um, you know, he wants these changes for democratic reasons. And democratic reasons, I think, roughly translates as uh, we don't want any more nutters like Jeremy Corbyn. And this has thrown him into dispute with large parts of the party. The membership, obviously, Momentum don't like it. You know, it's, it goes against everything they stand for. But also the unions, and uh, including the friendly ones, right? And this, this, but the problem is it kind of reminds you of one of the issues with the Labour Party, this hulking great institution with these, these factions within it, of the Parliamentary Labour Party, uh, the unions, the membership, which has become a much bigger part of the sort of influential sphere of the Labour Party, then you've got sort of momentum tagged onto that. And it's all a bit confusing. You just think, you know, at least for the, the, the Tories and the Lib Dems, it's pretty straightforward. You go, the Tories, they're, they're big business. Uh, the Lib Dems, they're like the campaign for real ale and fucking organic slippers or whatever. And <laughs> and it just reminds you, there's a constant dispute in the Labour Party, isn't it? It's like to them, it's like politics is a football match, which isn't actually about playing football. It's just a big opportunity to decide who owns the ball. And uh, Starmer then, he, he publishes this long-awaited essay. Um, I mean, long-awaited, uh, slightly hyping it a little bit. He publishes his essay, and it turns out it was going to be 14,000 words. It ends up being 12,500. And I don't know if maybe that was like, uh, you know, in sixth form, when you go through your essay and you realise you've used the word consequently and however 4,000 times. Um, and it's an essay. I mean, like, it is kind of incredible that he... I'm not sure essays are the way forward, Keir, got to say it if you look at that red wall there i'm not sure people are standing outside going you know what problem with labor party uh, the last few years yeah, i'm not having no fucking essays all right i mean did, did keir starmer look at um get brexit done as a slogan and go yeah it's good but uh feels like it's kind of like twelve thousand four hundred and ninety seven words light right he still thinks he can win but he's like miliband he thinks he can win by being nice 
and intelligent. Where is the evidence that nice, intelligent guys have done well in politics recently? Look at the United States, right? The last guy they had was a narcissistic prick, right? Now they've got a 400-year-old fucking Grandpa Simpson there going, I need a nap. I mean, what? He sniffs, women, he sniffs women's hair. Where's the evidence, Kia? We've got Boris Johnson in charge. Where's the evidence? They still know if I'm just clever enough and nice enough. I mean, it, I mean the one thing about the, the essay that is incredible is that it's almost like Keir Starmer looked at, looked at Ed Miliband's Edstone. Remember the Edstone? And he's gone, yeah, yeah, it's good, but uh, I think he's a bit low on the word count. What most people think. I think it'd be weird if we didn't talk about Boris's little limp dick trip to the US. Uh, and it was fair to say that Boris went to the US to have his first state visit with um, President Biden. And he did seem to come back with next to fuck all, didn't he? I mean, as a as a Brexit voter, you know, you have to you have to admit that one of the key claims for a while with Brexit, certainly with Trump in power, was that we'd be able to get a trade deal with the US. And Trump, you know, he fanned the flames of that. And obviously he didn't... For a long time he was expected to win the next election. He didn't win it. Now Biden's in. And he's kind of like a continuity of Obama. Well, I mean, it's exactly what he is. And we know that Obama... Fam- I mean, Biden, let's just say that Biden sort of doesn't like Britain. You know what I mean? Uh, in the same way that Boris sort of doesn't like combing his hair. Let's just say that. He's not, he's not a massive fan. And it's a similar position to Obama, who famously said, you'll be at the back of the queue for trade deals. And Biden has said, well, you know, it's, it's not a huge priority for us at this point in time, which isn't the same as saying, you know, you're at the back of the queue. But it's been, been interpreted as that because, you know, like there is this constant battle uh, with, you know, the Remainers and Brexiteers to find evidence to, of, of things that have just been contradicted. When It seems to me that there's a constant, you know, stream of evidence for both sides at the moment. Remainers having more stuff validated, but it's gone both ways over the course of the last year. And uh, well, Boris has been, um, he's been reduced to scrabbling about for, so there's no trade deal for now. And Boris has been reduced to scrabbling about for concessions on British land. <laughs> I mean, like that is pretty weak, isn't it? As he sits down, he goes, ah, well, you've had a trade deal? And Biden's like, no. He's like, uh, mm, okay, have you tried lamb recently? Lamb sandwiches, British, oh, love to, let me tell you. Bit of mint jelly, oh. God, a bit of butter. I mean, that that's not good, is it? Like, however Tory you are, however much you love Boris, then you have to accept that that is not a good trip. He's <laughs> selling lamb like some fucking you're guy in a meat van. You know you get in the market. They go, maybe I'll tell you what, ladies, I'll throw in. I won't just throw in the lamb chops. I won't just throw in the sausages. I'll throw in half a pound of bacon and we'll call the old finger teller. And, you know, but the Remainers... You know, they want their win. They want, like, as I was saying, they want any evidence that what everything that they said was going to happen was going to come to pass. I mean, you know, leave aside the fact that this year Britain is expected to grow at the fastest economic rate of any country in the G7, and that's despite Brexit, hashtag, but it's just harder to get those views getting traction on social media. And also, you know, if your objective in leaving the EU was to be outside the EU, then it is an, a success. And I know that doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but, in the, uh, you know, as I often say, in the biggest poll after Brexit, the Lord Ashcroft poll, a poll of 25,000 people, that's a lot of people for a poll, um, is that, that, you know, 52% of people quoted the sovereignty issue as their main issue. And I know that a lot of people just don't get it, right? But if you're a Remainer and you don't get it, think about, like, a country somewhere else in the world, you know, somewhere that you don't hate, you know? 
<laughs> you know, somewhere that you don't, somewhere that you don't instinctively think that, like Britain, that everything they ever do is crap. Imagine that they were part of a bigger political supranational body, and then they got independence. Would you not see that there was some sort of positivity just to having independence, right? Just to not having any oversight from a much bigger block, right? You know, essentially a neoliberal trading block. And Boris, on on the trip, he was uh, he did get, he did get some concessions on climate. And this is another issue where I find that people of a certain political persuasion struggle to kind of acknowledge that Britain might have ever done anything good. You know, if you look at like reducing carbon emissions, I think we're second only to Sweden. And you say that and you just watch the look in people's eyes where they just go, no, you're like, that's a fact. That's a fact. They go, no, no. Well, I mean, I'd love to see that. You know, they just do exactly what kind of Trumpian hard right people do where you present them with a fact that fucks them up and then they're just essentially they're essentially calling it fake news so um look concessions on climate from biden he got he got biden to commit a bit of extra money would biden have done that anyway because he needs to throw a bone to the kind of more left-wing agitators in the u.s possibly but um but yeah lamb who wants some lamb that'd be the lamb (laughs) I mean, the, Starmer's done him such a solid by writing a stupid essay and going to war with the unions, because if none of that was happening, we'd be looking at one of the least successful diplomatic trips by a British politician in living memory. OK, just do some more new patrons here. These are the £5 Patreon massive. We've got George Hargreaves. George, we had George Hargreaves before. He sounds like a upmarket car dealership. Andrew Hutchinson. I mean, there are, where are all the ladies, by the way? You know, ladies, I mean, I'm grateful for all the men. Andrew Hutchinson here, he sounds like he's uh, he's working on some new flip phone. Uh, but where, where are all the ladies? You know, women, women, let's be honest, ladies. You know, you get the drinks bought for you. You listen to this podcast, it feels like I'm buying you drinks every fucking week. Come on, ladies, get your, get your hands in your purses. I know you earn well these days. I know you're doing all right. Um, we've got Gary Pope. Uh, Popey. I do think it's weird. Like You know they say that your um, your name sometimes is a job that your family had in the past. I do think that runs aground when you have Pope. That's a bit of a, a bit of a reach in it. Or that there was one Pope that was just an absolute shagger. That's probably true as well, isn't it? John Gray... John Gray. That I mean, John. Um, that name just says that you're 63 years old. Uh, you like you like a port, like a bit of golf, right? John Gray. Uh, retired early, done all right for yourself. Got a lot of sense of humour about the fact that you fucking minted. Uh, and then finally, Darren Sherry, Mister Sherry. <laughs> it's great to have a name after alcohol, isn't it? You know, if you uh, fucking Steve Hoffmeister. Darren Sherry and Steve Hosmeister. Darren Sherry, do you know what you actually sound like? You sound like a sort of mid-90s trance DJ. Before before trance DJs all had really cool fucking like North European names involving the word van. Darren Sherry there. Darren Sherry is a mid-90s British DJ, went off the rails, and actually the film It's All Gone Pete Tong was based around him. Just a quick little hype here. Um, I am on the tour. I haven't mentioned this one much at all. I'm on the Tuesday, the 5th of October. I'm at the Core Theatre in Solihull. I've gone there every tour. I filmed my version of Taking Liberties there uh, back in 2019, so we'll be back there very soon. Southport. 
Southport, I'm going to be on Wednesday the 13th of October at the Southport Comedy Festival. Uh, the Y Theatre in Leicester on the Sunday of that week, the 17th of October. Going to be in Verwood. Remember that last tour, which I thought was a fictional place? Turns out it's fucking not. Uh, 22nd of October, the Marine Theatre in Lyme Regis. It's an interesting gig where pretty much the whole town turn out because I, I get the impression there's fuck all else to do. Um, <laughs> the Old Rep Theatre in Birmingham. Uh, on the 28th of October. That started to move there, but it's a big room. It would be great to see as many of you as there as possible. Both the Maidenhead dates are almost sold out. And the last two dates of the tour, the 10th of November in uh, Milton Keynes, uh, that's getting close. That's now over 80%. And the 11th of October, City Varieties uh, in Leeds. Milton Keynes, did I just say? No, I didn't. Uh, who, uh, no one gets confused. No one has ever got confused between Leeds and Milton Keynes. Uh, I'll be finishing this leg of the tour in Leeds. Eh? Dirty Leeds. You get yourself down there to Leeds, all right? Like Jeff Norcott, he might be a cockney twat, but uh, we do share some views. Um, that was Jeffrey Boycott making an unscheduled appearance on the podcast. Um, in terms of the Radio 4 show, so the mailing list, you'll have got an offer uh, for free tickets to uh, the record which is on the 6th of October so we did get quite a lot so we're going through those now so somebody will get getting back to you and hopefully would accommodate as many of you uh, as possible but you're only guaranteed a ticket if you hear something back okay so just keep checking your emails for those uh, keep buying the book it's still selling uh, what, where did I go right how the left lost me remember if you've got an audible account you can cash in that chip and get it for free and um, people seem to that was one of the greatest things about doing it was that people seven and a half hours of Jeff People fucking listen to it. Do you know what I mean? If there's anything that my wife has been surprised about in my career is that there's a single person on earth that would want to listen to seven and a half hours of her husband wanging on. I don't know. She loves me. Okay, we mentioned the other week uh, Insulate Britain. Just a quick double dip on them. I mean, well, one question I've got, and I don't want to sound like a Daily Mail like the most sort of Daily Mail reader ever, but are they terrorists? <laughs> I've gone full Richard Littlejohn. Do we need to start doing... Are they terrorists? Because I saw a video the other day on uh, LBC of their... Um, of the, them like There was a moving, free-flowing traffic on the M25 going at about 20 miles an hour, which may actually be a new record for traffic on the M25. And it was at Junction 10, and instead of stopping you know, people at the lights, they just fucking ran straight on. They ran straight on... And while traffic is moving, it's started to sit down. And there's a lot of lorry drivers there, right? And I'm thinking, I've sort of lost a little bit of respect for lorry drivers. I've got to be honest, right? I, I, I would have hoped that there'd be some more, you know, headlocks and, uh, you know, these aged ex-art teachers getting dragged off Junction 10 by their hair. But I'm not advocating that... <laughs> you know, you should... I, one thing I do think is you should probably arrest people that cause huge delays. And, and in fairness to the... Uh, Police, they have started to do that now, arresting. But, you know, I know, it's, you know, sometimes it just takes a while to work out that's your fucking job. But on that note, by the way, interesting letter coming up in, in later in the show. So stay tuned. And I do use phrases like stay tuned because I just am a bit 80s. Um, but, but it is amazing. You think like even what, a week ago, we had a senior ranking police officer standing there just saying, OK, we will be arresting you shortly. We have bought some nice bottles of water. Well, this isn't a fucking Uber Deluxe, do you know what I mean? Like, just get them off the fucking road. What is going on in this country? I, I really have gone so Daily Mail. Uh, and then they insulate Britain. They had one of these guys go on a GMB and they had a bit of a PR disaster. Let's just say about this lad, how can I say this without being too politically incorrect? Let's just say, if you were a casting uh, of Mice and Men in an Amdram, this lad could have played Lenny without much 
training. You hear that? I mean, and he just was so arrogant. It's that dangerous mix of stupidity and arrogance. And the entitlement, right? He's, so his argument seemed to be, well, we're doing this because, you know, we had an e-petition, it got to 700 signatures, and the government still didn't do exactly what we said. So uh, we're taking direct action. And he, he got into it a bit and ended up fucking storming off, ended up looking a bit stupid. But, it, and it, but then when, when they got into brass tacks, it turns out that his house isn't insulated. Now, look, I don't know what kind of income he, he's on. But if you're if you're willing to like get run over by an articulated lorry for the idea of insulating houses, I would have thought that somehow you would have found a way to insulate your own fucking house. But this is a problem, isn't it? There's a debate and there's a way of thinking at the moment that, that thinks that it's the government's job to do everything. That is quite... I mean, like, it rarely gets challenged, certainly on the BBC and ITV. Like, that, no one ever challenges that simple aspect of it. Why should the government do all of this Okay, maybe up to a certain income point. Okay, but beyond that, there are benefits in terms of energy consumption for householders, right? Maybe people should do the right thing rather than governments. It does it does worry me that we constantly outsource conscience and action to governments. We we forget how to be good people, Bryn. We forget how to do good stuff ourselves. Uh, uh, you know, and as I say, on 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 that, you know, that guy, he's one of the classic ones where you sort of you mentioned that thing about how well we're doing on carbon emissions. He would he would have just batted it away. They've just batted it away. And and why is it always? Why are all these protesters seem to be from like such a tightly knit demographic? It does feel like, in a way, that the Corbynistas lost the cause, didn't it? Like, you know, the kind of like 52-year-old kind of housing officer. You know those kind of Corbynistas with an earring, you know? And he just he's like the Corbyn thing died. He's like, fucking hell. God, that made me feel alive. What, what can I do now? I'll tell you what, I'll get on the M25 and uh, you know, cause a seven-mile tailback. That, that's going to win people over to the cause. Okay, a little bit of uh, men's mental health here. And, and everybody's mental health, but as ever, I think that maybe there is a blokey dimension to it. But I'm talking about being overworked at the moment. Now, if the comedy gods are listening, do not smite me. I am, I am grateful for every little bit of work that I have, okay? Do not... Do not take this as a, an act of ingratitude, but I'm in one of those periods, like a three-week period, where I'm kind of working every day, right? And I know there's some people right now going, oh, poor you, get a violin out, you know, fair enough. Well, I mean, having to tell jokes, are oh, you know, God, God, that must be exhausting. Mm. I, I get it, I get it, but but it can feel sort of overwhelming when you're busy like that. And one thing that does start to happen is it starts to impact on your sleep uh, a little bit, right? A little bit. I think the main thing that starts to happen is that, you know, when you wake up, so you can get to sleep, all right? And you're knackered, but then you wake up and you need a piss. Now, in more benevolent, easygoing times, you'll just wake up. You'll think, oh, I need a piss. Okay, I'm going to go and do this with my with my eyes closed. Um, I'm going to do it with my eyes closed. There you go. I'll, do, I'll keep pissing with my eyes closed. And uh, yeah, some might get on the floor, but that's a bit of a design fault with men. Not my fault. I'm not going to sit down. I'm not a woman. And you get back in bed, right? Um, but then when, you, when you're really busy, you wake up and then, like, by the time you've started... By the time the piss is thundering against the water, you've had your 17,000 thought, right? You've just, it's all comes in on you, doesn't it? Oh, fucking hell, oh, fucking hell, oh, fucking And then by the time you lay down, right? So when you're in a good good headspace, you'll be lying down thinking, ah, oh, Jeff, Jeffrey, go back to sleep now. But when you're in a bad headspace, you're thinking, ah, oh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, can't go. Jeffrey needs to be sectioned. Um, so it can all build up a bit and it comes from catastrophizing, doesn't it? Thinking, oh, I can't, I can't cope. Despite all the evidence that you do cope and you can cope, it's just... There's something in you that's that's alarmed, right? And I, I have a tendency to catastrophize things 
quite quickly. I mean, it's almost comical the degree to which I mean, I do I do think I have a bit of hypochondria, and it might be to do with the age I am. Right, forty four. Quite a lot of people have died now. There's a lot of people who go, you know, there's a lot of, you know those celebrities that used to die when you were young, and you go, fuck him, he was old, and now you go, fucking hell, he's two years older than me. So. I, you know, I do have a bit of that about me. I've learned a couple of coping strategies. Though, when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's one thing. Don't check your phone. Why are you checking your phone? What, what, what's the win when you check your phone? What's the good outcome there, right? Because, say, for example, you manage to get to sleep at about ten, and you check your phone and it's half one, right? And you go, "Fucking hell, it's only half. I've had two and a half hours of sleep. What if I don't get back to sleep at all? What if I, what if I have to take on tomorrow having had only two and a half hours sleep, right? So you don't win there." And then what if you check your phone and it's half four and you go, well, great, it's almost morning now. I won't be able to get back to sleep. Fucking hell, how am I going to cope with only six hours of sleep? So just don't, don't check your phone. And try to, one, one thing I've, I've worked out is just try and get a positive image. Like not, just like, you know the old counting sheep things, bollocks. Just think of something that you like looking at. You know, lads, eh? Or ladies, right? Just something, yeah, not so much that you then feel that you need to take other action, but the... But just just to play, I mean, my things, I think of a lot of Star Wars imagery. I know it sounds really childish, but I just think of an Imperial Star Destroyer. Or I'll just think of, quite often, and it, this will be embarrassing because I've worked with a bloke a few times, but Freddie Flintoff, name drop, um, <clears throat> is that when, I, when I'm struggling to get to sleep sometimes, I think of every single ball he bowled uh, in that Ashes over in 2005 at Edgbaston against Ricky Ponting. And it, and it I mean, God... That's embarrassing. I've done. I've, 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 I'm in. A, by the way, I'm in an episode of the League of Their Own that um, comes out soon, and I'm really glad that I didn't bring that up because that you know is the thing where you're a fan of someone and then you just go into sounding fucking psychotic. Um, so I, I was trying to give you know a little bit of my experience of catastrophization here, but what I think I've sort of revealed is that I might be gay for Flintoff. Okay, we've got a couple of letters here. First up, I tried to find this one. Annoyingly, I can't find it, but it was a letter from somebody who is a copper at this point in time, and he was sort of pushing back on what... I was sort of saying, why don't the modern police want to get stuck in? And he basically said, we do. We do want to get stuck in, but all the kind of directives of the touchy-feely policing all come from above, which kind of makes sense, right? If you look at what's happening with management positions and who's getting promoted into certain positions. So it is reassuring to know that there are coppers out there that absolutely want to smash me. Look, I don't believe in police brutality. I do believe in police action, right? I think that's okay, isn't it? That if, I mean, you look at these protests, I say again and again, if they, if all of those uh, insulate Britain people were just like pretty pretty sort of council kid looking, working class youths, right? How, how much fucking latitude would they give that? There has to be consistency uh, in policing. We also got another letter here. Um, I mentioned the other day about why I didn't understand that I didn't understand that my my toes, like we know when you stub your toe and then your toe has this dramatic sort of drama queen style reaction. Why is the pain so disproportionate based on the you know the damage done? Which in the case of the toe is often fuck all. She says, "Hi Jeff, I hope you're well. Uh, big fan of yours. Um, thank you very much." She said some nice things here. Uh, in the last podcast, you wondered why stubbing your toe gave you a disproportionate pain response. Let me share my thoughts. She's she's a uh, She's a physiotherapist based in Scotland. Uh, the short answer is, by the way, she did say the place. I'm not saying like Scotland is like a town in Britain. Uh, the short answer is certain body parts have a larger representation in the brain. Uh, certainly that's true of men, right? Uh, click this link. There's a link there. Hence, it can generate a much bigger pain response, which is way too simplistic. The lengthy explanation is, is, is something 
called a cortical representation. You correctly said pain is a warning system, but the key difference in human beings is the intensity of pain is dependent on the context of the pain and the emotional state you're in. All right, okay. If you're having a bad day or feeling stressed, you experience severe pain. What? That would explain why your big toe is acting like a fucking pussy on certain days. I'm sure it wouldn't do that if you were having a nice time with your wife because you're in a positive state of mind. Oh, I see. What, what, are, you, what are you getting out here? Is, is it, Jesus Christ, I did not expect this to go down this road. So my, my the excess toe pain that I experienced is somehow a reflection on my marriage. Fucking hell. Science. Okay, that is the end of this week's solo show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we've got some uh, more new patrons. There we go. We've got a lady. We've got a lady, Trudy. Trudy Hansen. That's a fucking cool name, isn't it? Trudy Hansen. You sound like a fucking spy. Uh, we've got someone called MJC, who just sounds like someone who would feature on a track featuring MJC. Mark Smith from The Fall. I didn't think this would be his sort of politics, but you live and learn. Andy Sandars. Andy Sandars. You'll have to speak. Yeah, I mean, Andy Sandars is a classic kind of working in middle management name is it you're going to have to speak to Andy Sandars about that he'll he'll be visiting the office he does his rounds on Thursdays you'll have to speak to Andy Sandars Mark Law I am the law Adam Maurice Adam Maurice I'd imagine I don't know what your upbringing was Adam but if you went to a comprehensive state school in a very working class area I'd imagine that there was a couple of lads in your class that would just go Maurice um Dan Carter, that's a very manly name, isn't it? Dan Carter, makes with Bear Grylls and the geezer off SAS who dares wins. Robert Slay, please tell me that you're middle class and going to marry a woman called Jane Bell. Come on, the sleigh bells. Who wouldn't want to have the fucking sleigh bells round for Christmas? Uh, Martin Reddin, Martin Reddin, Martin Reddin. God, that's a clunky name to say. Martin Reddin. What were your parents thinking, Martin? Your name shouldn't be ending an in. We, we love an... We, you should have been called Richie Reddin. You know, which does sound like a 1950s US character from a comic book. Martin Reddin. Why is that so difficult to say? Guy Ford. Guy Ford definitely mates with Dan Carter, two rugger buggers from back in the day. Uh, Ellen Richards. And then we've got another lady there. Well, isn't that nice there? A woman that pays her own way. That's, that's feminism, ladies. Okay? All you ladies out there just sitting there freeloading on my podcast. Okay? You've got your own money these days can you tell that jeff is fluffing because he's trying to see if there's any new reviews on itunes he is uh we got one on thursday love the show this is from rob by the way if you leave a, a five-star review on itunes i will read them all out eventually uh, love the show jeff looking forward to look forward to the latest edition i am one accumulator win away from becoming a patron either that or cancel my dough bernardo's direct debit and chuck that one pound 74 your way instead look i'm just saying look bernardo's is a good cause I've got a kid, right? And, you know, I could... I, I cancelled his PlayStation Plus recently. Maybe I could reactivate that. Just saying. Uh, this is from Pillhead. <laughs> Jeff loves house music, clubs and Ibiza. If you too, do too, this is the podcast for you. I mean, I mentioned clubbing uh, in passing. Do you know what? Actually, I, I just haven't got the time for it. I would love to do a podcast about house music and clubbing because there's so few comedians that like it. There are such pussies. They're like, oh, I need lyrics. To tell me what to think. Um... This is says uh, this is from www. This is, says gap in the market. Have you thought of getting someone to put up the money to launch a rival to the tediously unfunny? And then he mentions a publication, which uh, I, I hear. Uh, oh, here we go. This is this is from somebody who's really upset. I quite like these. In the beginning, you were very funny, entertaining, and relevant. I cancelled my Patreon subscription because I felt that you were telling the same jokes and quips wrapped up in the same tired anecdotes. 
<laughs> I like you because your political opinions and honesty, but politics needs more humour. It needs it. I read your book and loved it. <laughs> That's the weirdest one star review. I mean, I think what you've got to understand, the person that wrote that one star, is that one thing that people tend to like about podcasts is an element of continuity, right? If you look at like Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James A. Caster, they don't suddenly do a week where it's not about cooking, okay? There's there's a vibe. So look, if you're if you're if you're out, then fair enough. But the podcast has grown recently. So the market decides. Um, From left to right, this says, an honest look at politics over the week and certainly feels though Jeff catches the mood of most people. Good chat uh, from people on both sides. Having been what I thought was a fairly left-leaning tradesman, most of my life I've discovered I have more in common with Jeff. So there you go, changing minds. Um, The long word, this is from Thorpey. Uh, the Long Word Alert podcast is tremendous. Keep it up, sir. That's a reference to the book. Um, this is... Oh, right. And so, yeah, thank you for all those reviews. There's quite a few there. You'll see I'm in quite a chipper mood. Those of you that have listened, it's probably not as entertaining as the weeks where I log in and find out that there are fucking none. But thank you very much uh, for listening to the podcast. As I say, despite our friend who's a bit upset there with the one-star review, it is growing. And if you can't... It, look, if, if you, things are a bit tight, the one thing you can do for me is leave the review... And recommend it because I know that, that it's it's you know it's getting a bit more traction and it's always nice to know that it's uh, it's got oh, why the fuck it's so whenever I do an appeal for something I always end up sounding like a wanker. Oh, Okay.